Monkey to Let Go, the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, a disobedient platform for architecture whistleblowers, with concrete action. Hello everyone, today I'm meeting with uh, two founders of the group uh, Concrete Action, that is a whistleblowing platforms uh, against uh, the developments, uh, new uh, uh, real estate developments in, uh, in London and the UK, um, and uh, because of uh, uh, concerns of anonymity, we're going to use uh, pseudonyms, uh, but so we have uh, Cleo and Sarah, <laughs> hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. Um, uh, so today we will speak about your uh, your uh, these platforms that you've been uh, setting setting up with a, a few other people. Uh, but uh, maybe before we even address uh, what this platform does, uh, you might want to tell us a little bit about uh, this, this situation in the UK and and um, sort of cap capitalization of of architecture and real estate and housing and. And uh, and um, and the situation against which you very much try to organize against. Uh, um, could you could you maybe give us a little bit of a, of a, a sort of overview about all those issues? Uh, maybe yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Hello. Um, yeah, for sure. I think uh, concrete action has emerged as a necessity. Uh, because of a very particular situation in London today. Um, it's quite fair to say um, that London is in a state of permanent crisis, permanent state of crisis in terms of housing, um, which has no beginning and no end, in the sense that um, London is being owned by a series of disconnected interests, Um, that sort of um, damage the city fabric and divide the users of the city. Um, in more practical terms, I think uh, we can say after research that we've been doing on our own, because it's very difficult to trace the effect and the consequences of what we call regeneration now. Uh, I think we can say that um, the sort of immediate effect of it is to dry out London from its inhabitants. Um, I think we can say today that there is uh, not much land available for construction. So what's happening is that um, more than approximately 90 So nine and zero social housing estates are going through regeneration, which unfortunately means demolition. Um, this is uh, today uh, the residency for more than 300,000 residents, which are affected by these regeneration processes and then actually are evicted and sent very far out uh, from London. Some managed to stay within the boundaries of Greater London, but I think most of them um, end up 
maybe even sometimes in other cities. So it has an effect uh, in, in London and it has an effect uh, on the whole of the UK uh, in terms of displacement of population. And then um, I guess that um, it's important to take into account the finance or the speculation part of it, which is maybe uh, even more visible, I mean, even more um, important today than it was before 2008, before the crisis, in the sense that um, uh, why is there so little land available or what is the value of the land is a very important thing to understand what's going on. So if you um, add up all the um, kilometers square of this social housing estate going through a regeneration, you end up with more than 20 kilometers square. And the value of this land uh, put together in London is approximately 52 billion. So knowing this, you sort of understand that um, it's about land grabbing, probably uh, speculation and um, uh, building uh, luxury flats that are um, um, uh, financial assets uh, and not so it's a sort of process of uh, complete commodification of the notion of home uh, where the house is not a home anymore but um, a financial asset which can remain empty because for means of speculation uh, it means it's not to uh, house people uh, but uh, to make more money or help financial uh, flows across the world. So London situation in that sense is very specific and it's very difficult to say when it started, when it's going to end. That's why we'd like to speak about a state of permanent crisis. And it's within that uh, situation that we want to operate with the technologies of today, uh, the infrastructures the technological infrastructure that we have that we think can be used and can inf inf um, potentially disturb these processes and maybe uh, reverse it or build or make because we, we also want to act as architect, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, which is to um, uh, make an alternative or change the situation. Mm. Clear. Do you want to add to this... Uh Overview. Yeah, I think um, so. Probably um, around uh, just over a year ago um, was when um, was when uh, the there started to be quite a few high-profile grassroots direct action um, happening uh, to resist to resist evictions and resist. Um, the demolitions of, of estates and uh, the first well, one of the first uh, was um, in Stratford at the Carpenters Estate where um, Focus E15 mothers who are a group of uh, young single mothers who were in supported accommodation um, they received eviction notices from the local council um, and were given alternative housing sort of as far away as Manchester and, and places so way up in other parts of the country where they don't have a support network, they have no social ties. Um, and uh, so in response to that, they uh, occupied um, part of this estate that had been empty since the Olympics. Um, so all the people who used to live there had been evicted and the estate was empty, ready for 
um, being sold, but they hadn't actually found anybody to buy it. So, <laughs> so there was this. There were these. They they occupied one of these buildings, um, and they demonstrated how there were perfectly livable flats in there. New like new kitchens, new bathrooms. Um, basically, nothing wrong with them at all. So, um, and what what we became aware of, sort of around the same time, was that there was a lot of. This was getting a lot of national press, um, just the, the situation in, in London and what was happening. And there was a lot of focus on the property developers and on the local government. But the, the architects and the planners, they kind of slipped through the net. And nobody was mentioning what is the role of the designers in this situation. And so I guess um, part of what Concrete Action wants to do is to sort of try and repoliticize practice in a way and say hold on a second um, say what is what is the role of the architect in this situation so um, if you are working in practice uh, in London and you are working on a project which involves the demolition of um, social housing um, and replacement with you know a certain number of luxury flats or high-rises or, or whatever you happen to be doing um, can we start to raise awareness of of your role within that as an architect like how are you going to take responsibility for your actions do you feel any kind of moral or ethical responsibility to the people of the city yeah so uh the in terms of the, the responsibility um can we encourage architects and especially younger architects who are still either studying or about to graduate or just recently graduate from university can we encourage them to kind of start thinking differently about uh, their relationship with the city um, and also because the situation in London is starting to affect more and more people in that sense that uh, it's not just affecting people who live in social housing it's starting to affect it's affecting private renters it's affecting people in fact everybody who's earning under a certain amount people everyone's being pushed out and out and out um, further, further away mm-hmm. from the centre of the city um, so and in a way that works to our advantage because people who before wouldn't have been interested in that kind of political aspect of it suddenly find that they can't afford to pay the rent and they can't afford to live where they want to live um, and that's how we can kind of also interest them in the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds kind of cynical in a way but but um, it, it's true that as soon as it starts affecting your life you start taking it more seriously but but also I suppose that we we should insist as well on the fact that uh, uh, a, 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 an important part of of uh, uh, of people we know are indeed being pushed. I mean uh, here in London, but obviously uh, in other cities as well. Mm-hmm. But are also pushing as well while they're doing that. So mm-hmm. uh, every everyone is both like uh, I mean everyone not everyone but an important an important part of people are are both uh, actors of this process and also uh, subject to it right it's like uh, i think uh, i mean you know when you when you when you're when you're in uh, like the sort of typical architectural uh, scenes you you find people in what we call like the creative class right and and the creative class is certainly active as well as uh, as architects as you said but also as as just uh, living somewhere and and uh, and um, and uh, having also a responsibility that sometimes is being a little bit uh, 
diluted in the there is no choice there is no alternative and and that might be true but there is an alternative to maybe do something about it right sarah yeah yeah no for sure and i think uh, in a way you're uh, describing what uh, usually is being called gentrification which when a certain uh, class of creative people um ends up uh, moving from neighborhood to neighborhood and then gradually pushing out another class, uh, mostly the working class. Um, I think gentrification is something which we find much more complex and which is a sort of maybe um, mm, not such an important process at work in London. And that's why I think we focus more a bit on regeneration um, because with the Olympics, I think London went through an incredible um, a phenomenon of like loads and loads of uh, money from abroad coming in and uh, changing the city, shaping it in a different way. And um, so you're quite right in like um, showing the two parts of uh, people as either um, uh, workers in uh, architecture firm or persons that participate in gentrification process. So both regeneration makers and then gentrification actors. And I think that's where the idea of direct actions come in, is that we sort of want people to be aware of what they're doing and if eventually, obviously, uh, taking action uh, against it. And I guess that we're using the idea of the leak as a sort of first um, anonymous action if you are an architect or a planner or a consultant uh, within uh, you know professions that are linked mm -hmm. to these processes of regeneration so that at some point uh, you will realize that maybe you can do something to change it mm -hmm. um, Maybe just before we we start with the, the principle of the leak and that that uh, bases your 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 platform I mean the platform you co-founded uh, uh, to go back maybe I think we we should insist even more on the responsibility of architects because I I, mm -hmm. I, I know London a little bit but I can relate this situation much more to uh, the situation in New York and and many uh, many people ending to work on. Um, uh, you know, like uh, uh, co condominiums in uh, in uh, gentrifying uh, in gentrifying uh, neighborhoods, and it's not about moralizing the participation of like let's say young architects that are out of school, have student loans to pay, are also as you said having difficulties to find a, a proper housing for uh, uh, not excessive uh, uh, an excessive amount of money. Uh, and again, like nothing of all that would be would have anywhere the degree of violence that it has if the developers were out of the game. Obviously, like if if it was a sort of organic organic movement of of population, it would never reach this incredible degree of uh, evictive violence and uh, all the things. But um, so once we say that, once we once we agree not to overly moralize the, the responsibility of architects in the process uh, we can we can maybe try to look at how how architects are uh, also bringing a, an additional value uh, to ca to the capital of, of the place right like because uh, they even participate to like the sort of marketing aspect of it and it's like uh, uh, 
so and 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 that's something that architects for some reason seems to be almost uh shy to talk about because they kind of understand that there's something uh wrong about that and they prefer to think of themselves as just like do, doing doing that to make their practice survive but they actually do bring value don't they mm-hmm. clear i think um yeah that so it's in a way moralizing moralizing is 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 one thing like obviously everyone has responsibilities in their in their personal lives that they you know they have their rent to pay or their families to support or uh, whatever um and but uh and yeah it's true that they definitely were you know having an architect on a project definitely brings extra value to it and people use it as a selling point and even then you know the visuals and all everything that you were saying um and i think but i think it's also really it's interesting for us to see how not only um um not only the the whistleblowing leaking side which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit but also the how uh by raising the consciousness um, it's not saying that we want to stop redevelopment or stop regeneration, but how by raising the consciousness of, of architects, you can start thinking, so, okay, we have to do this. How can we do it better? Or like, how can we, how can we avoid um, another faceless condominium in Williamsburg or another horrible <laughs> development in, in Hackney? Like, what, what kind of things can we do in the margins of this sort of capitalist development system to kind of break it open or like bend the rules slightly um and make what is being designed and what's being developed more um less violent mm-hmm. somehow <laughs> sarah would you like to add something maybe, uh, yes maybe um i think also probably what we are trying to do is by um claiming that architects are a part of this regeneration process. Um, we are also trying to rebalance power. Um, I don't know how to explain that a bit better, but in a way I think that the profession of architects today feel quite powerless toward what is happening in the sense that they take jobs to you know, pay their rent or anything and they think they can't or that don't express so much their desire for change, even if they disagree uh, with the schemes they're working for. So in a way, by um, creating a concrete action and advocating for change, uh, we're also trying to convince architects to take their power back and to take positions uh, within these processes and uh, within their everyday practice. So I don't know about like morale and stuff like that. I think we're definitely trying to politicize, repoliticize the field and um, trying also to claim back or to reverse or divert or change um, the way we are practicing architecture today, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so now we can maybe uh, start to talk about concrete action uh, uh, proper. Uh, so this is as a, as we mentioned a whistleblowing uh, platform, and uh, so I mean very much uh, following 
sort of paradigm uh, established by uh, by examples we all know. I mean, WikiLeaks and uh, Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, and uh, and um, uh, and it's quite it's quite a it's a paradigm that's still self-reflecting on what it does, I suppose. And uh, I think I'm I'm also interested to ask you about that. Uh, and um, and I, it it's interesting in how. It might relate to uh, uh, another conversation I will have with uh, Elena Loisidou about about disobedience, and I think we can we can ha have a creative dialogue with those two conversations uh, recorded in London, and uh, and maybe ask you how do you position yourself towards this concept, this sort of legal concept of disobedience, as a um, how how do you, how do you um, how do you establish a sort of ethos that uh, justifies this disobedience? Cleo? I think um, on, I mean, firstly, it's, it's, it has a very practical aim on one side. Um, so, so in terms of, of why there is a whistleblowing side to the site or why there is a, a leaking um, a, a route for people to send us confidential or uh, information that is normally not released to the public um, is because the way that the planning process works in, in the UK um, there is a certain legal requirement for public consultation on, an, on any new development but um, in order for there to be a public consultation often uh, the architects and the planners will have been working on a on a design um, for a year or a couple of years before they actually get to the stage where they actually show it to to anybody else. Um, and in a way that, that that consultation process has become a very much sort of tick box exercise where they say, have you done a consultation? And they say, yes, we have. Um, we had an exhibition for two days or whatever in, in the area where this development's taking place so people could go and see what we were planning. Um, or we we sent out a survey and we got back however many responses but there isn't there's no real um there's no real dialogue at this stage before in in the pre-planning stage there's no dialogue between the the people and and the authorities who are who are carrying out the development so the so i guess that the practical aim of the of the leaking side of the website is to is to force that process to become more open and transparent um, and in that way give the the people who live in the city some kind of uh, comparable time scale to work with because often they they don't have an idea of what's happening until um, it's far too late because, because not only do they have to organize uh, themselves to, to the as a, as a community group but they also have to gather all of that that technical um, planning and design knowledge in order to realize what uh, what is actually being proposed towards them so um, so yeah the practical purpose of, of that leaking side enables uh, people to have around well hopefully uh, more time to prepare those kind of things than they, they would do otherwise um, and then obviously uh, that side of things brings up the theoretical sort of uh, implications of um, 
of of doing something like that within a professional within like a sphere where um it is very apolitical at the moment and um yeah i suppose i'm not really sure where mm. it's gonna what is what that what kind of questions this is gonna this is gonna throw up um from the architectural community at large like i think um that's something that i'm waiting to find out mm-hmm. sarah yeah i think we are trying uh, something and um as you can see when we start to describe the processes and what we're trying to do it becomes very technical and it is complicated and it is obscure which is why i guess the whistleblowing side is important for us and why uh, we set it up which is part of making transparent and visible um, these processes of change within the cities that otherwise you discover when it's too late in a way and on the side of how you link that to um, disobedience, disobedience. Um, obviously if you're working uh, in a team of architects or planners or if you're being consulted to give um, an assessment of something for the councils, you work for quite a long time, several years, and you're within a very small team. So in a way what we are trying, and we don't know uh, how it's going to develop, is um, to ask people to take some risks because they can be um, probably quite easily um, uh, identified who has access to these types of documents. And um, so it's really asking for a strong um, ethical position or at least to take um, some risk in the action of whistleblowing the thing. I mean, we're working on the legal support side of it and, of course... uh, this is not at all something we are not thinking about. Uh, we're thinking about it quite a lot. Um, yeah. Hmm. Anything you want to add? But may, maybe maybe I'll I'll, I'll add a, a mm. little uh, provo- provocating uh, thoughts, I suppose. But uh, um, be, before when we were preparing this conversation, we were talking about several positioning towards a similar towards a similar aim right which is like to to um, to make this uh, this capitalist process that's right now is unfolding it's full I mean it's full violence we don't know if it's full but at least a, a, a very uh, definite form of violence to uh, and to to reduce to reduce this process uh, drastically so we were talking about uh, the, so the good old debate about uh, acting from the inside or, or the outside or uh, I mean we didn't say it like that but I, I feel we always go back to this que- to this question and at the same time it's it's a question that that seems relatively irrelevant in the fact that there is no outside of things we're always inside things so what I find very interesting with this um, whistleblowing platform concrete concrete action is to is the fact that all in a sudden you completely understand you are inside, and you you're you're sort of uh, uh, you're sort of infiltrated within uh, within something, and therefore you you no longer are uh, uh, thinking of yourself in the dichotomy or of of uh, should I change things from the inside or should I stay outside? Like which again is is a sort of very unproductive uh, unproductive dilemma, I suppose, because it's not it's it's 
it does not really manifest as such in reality. Uh, Clea? Yeah, so um, in the... I think it's actually it's actually good to start talking about um, the whole inside versus outside positioning because I feel that actually uh, even though even though we are definitely conscious of the fact that there's we have one foot inside, I think this, that by the way the the way that this this is set up, um, we're also somehow on in the grey zone between between the two like on the threshold somehow. Because a lot of the people who the the communities who we're working with, they're definitely outside in terms of they're outside of that sphere of professional knowledge um, that you get within architecture and planning. They have no, they 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 can't understand the the terminology and um, at least not without not with some kind of. Uh, process of of research it's not kind of intuitive in terms of you know intuitive in the same way that you would find it intuitive having gone through architectural education um so so yeah in that sense I think we are we are kind of we are we are inside but um but not a hundred percent and there's there's some part there's some part of uh, I feel like because of because of having this this whistleblowing side of things we will never we we could never be fully accepted as being uh, part of this uh, I don't know what what you would call it establishment or something uh, architectural establishment which which kind of relates also to this um, anonymity question as well. So uh, are we, we, we're choosing at the moment to be mo- primarily anonymous because of the reaction from the architectural profession to kind of such an, an obvious sort of violation or, or disobedience to the, to the status quo of how you're supposed to behave in a way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I would add to this um, that the, in a way to understand really what we're up to is not to separate the whistleblowing side from um, this ongoing work that we do with communities through workshops which we called um, translation workshop, which are about to help communities uh, when they ask us uh, to understand at which stage of a planning process or regenerative process they are. So we are translating strange vocabulary or specific. So we are, uh, in a way, trying um, to uh, disperse knowledge and to make sure um, that it doesn't stay only within the architectural profession, but that people, that the users that are actually really experiencing what's going on can have the tools to think about it by themselves and to decide what their next step is and so to become actors of their own uh, destiny or fate or whatever, I don't know how to call that. Um, so on one side, we're doing these sort of bottom-up um, uh, workshops and actions on the ground which are the transition workshop and the regeneration workshop, which are an attempt to actually uh, make people think about an alternative and eventually make it happen, so that you don't always have to go through demolition uh, 
you know, to uh, and you don't always have to build luxury flats. It could be something different. So I think by doing this workshop on the ground, we are acting very differently from the traditional approach of architect within the profession. And in that sense, we are positioning ourselves in the margin of the architectural profession. So I think if you mix that with this, with this necessity for um, anonymity, anonymity, uh, being anonymous, being acting in the margin and constantly shifting uh, position is, uh, of course, a bit of a headache for us, but <laughs> I think a very interesting uh, way forward in terms of implementing change, which probably goes with... Um, Uh, what people were starting to discuss when we organized this event at the Architectural Association a few days ago about the opportunity for a new form of ethical practice, which has this idea of ethical cheating, or how do you uh, relate that to a new form of uh, disobedience? Mm. Uh, would you like maybe to, to give us some uh, some case studies that you, I mean some some uh, specific case in which you you've been intervening uh, as concrete action clear um, yeah there are a few we're work, there are a few that we're working on at the moment mm -hmm. um, and I guess uh, some of them I wouldn't want to mention them by name mainly because uh, we the the community groups themselves, um, which I think is actually an interesting development that we didn't uh, anticipate, um, they are quite aware that um, nobody is expecting them to be organised or have this amount of information. So they're actually quite uh, intent on us keeping a really low profile in our involvement with them so that they can almost sort of ambush the authorities with this with this um with this information mm -hmm. um so uh and there are others obviously that are less um less worried about about things like that so um we did a uh a workshop with a group called friends of the joiners arms who um are a a group of people who are campaigning to um, to reopen or somehow re uh, reacquire um, a, a pub actually in in Hackney, um, which was a cent centre point of the queer community in London for quite a long time, um, and uh, recently. Um, I'm not exactly sure when, but uh, it was recently shut down uh, to make way for uh, new development and is going to, uh, is going to be demolished. Um, and this community group, they um, asked us to come and give them a workshop um, to just break down the kind of break down the process for them of how things were progressing in terms of planning and also to give them an idea of who, of who else was involved in the project. Um, and it was actually great for, for us because, um, and it was an, and also a, lear a learning opportunity because we worked out that, that um, just with a couple of hours of research, we could find out the architects who were involved um, and uh, 
and we could understand the feasibility studies that they'd done. Um, and all of this is actually public information that was online already, but the, the people who were running the campaign just didn't really know where to look for it. Um, so that was really good. Uh, and there are a couple more, I think three more groups that we're working with at the moment who are going to be having workshops on various different parts of the processes that they're involved in um, throughout the month of, of November, which will be exciting. Um, and then uh, the other part of the project which we're working on getting off the ground at the moment is um, a mobile technical aid unit. Um, so basically a small vehicle that will be kitted out with uh, internet access, printer, um, publications, planning information um, and obviously the physical presence of uh, people, architects, planners um, who can go to uh, sort of hotspots in London and start to kind of publicise what's going on and get people, uh, raise consciousness and um, get people involved in, in different ways. Sarah? Yeah, I think it's interesting that in a way we have to keep quiet about maybe the most interesting part of the things we are doing, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which are this regeneration workshop with certain types of communities. So within big developments happening now in London. And I think it's part also of the strategy of anonymity. If you don't know who we are, you don't know what we do, you can speculate and be a bit anxious. You know, so I think it's part of this uh, things a bit. And uh, in terms of the mobile planning unit and trying, um, I think we're going to, I guess, test different strategies and uh, probably go um, where people are already organized and, act and very active, but also go um, within places where um, buildings or people are under threat and are not aware of it. Uh, because I think then uh, we can actually uh, raise awareness and try to give some tools or um, suggest um, uh, people to take action by themselves about things that are about to happen uh, to them. But if they're not aware of it, there is no way uh, they will ever organize and decide uh, what they would like uh, to do, stay in London, go somewhere else or whatever. Um, and in another... On an, I don't know how to talk about that, but... I think also what we're trying to do, like through the mobile planning unit or whatever, is not a new thing. It's something which belongs to a history of architect being involved in social uh, conflict or having uh, interest into politics. And um, I think it's part of what our endeavor of repoliticizing the field. And unfortunately, um, when I've been looking for this history, it is very difficult to find it, and it is not uh, something which is celebrated, which is when architects are actually aware of users and people living within the within their building and uh, taking that into account and going all the way with it. And I think that's part of the shift uh, we want to do. Uh, the sh the, we basically want to um, change the culture of how architectural practice is being uh, implemented now and we hope that we can create a shift in values uh, which is to uh, really invite architects to embrace this idea of working with and for 
the people that are going to live uh, in the building. And that's a very important point. Clear. Yeah, and just to add add to that, I um I think uh, along part part of the strategy of of being of being anonymous and keeping a very low profile um, is also uh, to it provides a kind of count, counterweight towards the culture within architecture of sort of um, you know creating your career and and name dropping and and being published and winning competitions and working for big name practices and and all of that kind of uh, accepted route into into the work into the world um, and that actually uh, at least for 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 me it's much more satisfying to know that what we're doing is is to try and is to really try and change things from from the ground upwards and that we're not going to get any recognition for it in that sense and um and in a way it's like a di- that's a different kind of disobedience it's almost like a rejection of of uh what is what we're accept what we're expected to, to be doing mm-hmm. um well, actually, along along those lines, and uh, going back to something I'm always interested in in reflecting upon is uh, design itself, and very much as you just described in the sort of uh, uh, let's say career career plan or something like that. Do you do you actually have any ideas? And, and I, I mean it almost as a as, as a question, like because that's something I'm I'm, I'm very uh, interested in is that how exactly like you describe how you can produce something and almost decrease value by producing something which is always this very difficult tension right because it's very hard for architects to produce something anywhere and actually make for example the the price of real estate go lower right it's very very difficult but it can I, I'm, I'm still convinced it can happen and through design and especially sometimes it's it's even harder because you you see how uh, the sort of architectural language of gentrification goes obviously through those uh, uh, pretty seamless uh, architecture but also through a sort of uh, a sort of weird um, uh, wish for authenticity like this word that comes back often so you have like some almost some some fake old vintage uh, uh, looking art pieces of architecture I mean you can you can think of all those uh, all, all those uh, coffee place and everything that that actually looks not so not so clean not so not so new but actually when you when you see uh, what it does to 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 prices and real estate it still produces value so I, I'm really, I really wonder if you have any input about this question about the the, the idea of producing, actively producing counter value, Sarah. So I guess the way we approach it is by, uh, and I'm probably not gonna cite him, cite him or quote him uh, correctly, uh, is by thinking a lot about uh, Cedric Price approach. Uh, towards design and values. I think he was saying something like um, basically the role of architect is not about uh, bringing solutions but more about creating opportunities for design or for invention. 
where maybe uh, it was not possible to think about it before. So I think in that sense, um, we are definitely thinking about these things, about counter values or different values. And maybe for the moment we are trying um, to replace values by other values, um, such as like viability. Maybe we are trying to challenge it within this notion of uh, livability, um, etc. Clear. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting um, it's an interesting area to think about because um, part of the part part of the regeneration process um, is uh, like the the way people talk about these areas which need regeneration is you know um, that they're run down and um, unappealing and. Um, and, and so, but actually in, in reality, the people, the people who, who live there, uh, sure, they probably see that, but they also, they also live there and, and they're, they're usually perfectly happy. <laughs> and so you relate that back to, to Cedric Price and the, the idea that actually sometimes the best solution is to not do anything. Mm. Um, and then you look at what has been designed especially you know these kind of 60s 70s um brutalist type uh or sort of um prefab um high-rise high-rise blocks and actually um all that needs doing is uh is insulation and and basic level of regeneration in that in that sense like it's not actually changing the 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 fabric so much as changing the perception of it um and sure maybe that is on on one level and on the other side you have um like how you were mentioning but before um the insertion of something that might slow down the process of regeneration like um for example well take a kind of what's the word current a current example like a like a shelter for asylum seekers um and yeah i mean that is something that people would feel possibly uncomfortable with or um also this this whole this whole thing about um different different shops and cafes catering to different um markets effectively and sort of one pricing out the other, and if you if you have uh, you know two hundred asylum seekers living in in one space, uh, what does that do to the local economy? Because obviously they have no money. <laughs> to, um, so yeah, I think there are lots of different, there are lots of kind of approaches that could be taken in order to in order to start looking at um, value. Uh, I don't think we've even started scratching the surface, to be honest. <laughs> that part of it, Sarah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess it's a, a difficult territory that uh, we are trying stuff and testing stuff, stuff out. And I'm not sure I have any um, uh, definitive answer, and I hope I will never have a definitive answer, actually. Uh, but I, I think also when we think about opportunities for design or opportunities for change, uh, instead of uh, thinking of definitive uh, solutions, 
I guess also um, that we are trying to pay attention to detail and to people and that there is a beauty in that uh, that maybe uh, is um, usually undervalued or which is uh, not a value and I guess also that we are very attentive to the um, idea of diversity I guess we come from this uh, thing that we look at difference and we think from that uh, towards um, making a design gesture rather than um, uh, homogenizing things. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's difficult um, to describe. It's easier to take a, to to describe something we do mm -hmm. rather than put. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe as a as a last uh, as a last point of conversation, uh, uh, I, could you could you maybe just tell us how people can can help you? Like, just take take those few minutes to to go crazy and just <laughs> tell us everything you need. Um, well, obviously, the first the first thing you could do to help is uh, if you're working in London and you have any great piece of information you want to send us, you could go onto the concreteaction.net site and. Uh, look into how to um, become a whistleblower um, uh, obviously if you're um, wanting to put in more than that and have more time than that uh, we are having a organising meeting on the 14th of November at Mayday Rooms uh, which is on Fleet Street um, and if you're interested in joining us um And finding out who we really are. <laughs> um, yeah, you can come along to that. If you're interested, you can write to concreteaction at riseup.net um, and we will give you more information. Can you um, just tell us a tiny bit about the conditions in which uh, people can leak documents? Because obviously that with that uh, raise uh, yeah. a few questions of uh, anonymity. And so there are lots of, um, there's lots of instruction on the website, on the leak page, um, and it's up to you really to decide uh, what level of anonymity you want, you feel is necessary for what you're sending us. Um, so there's there's full instructions on three different levels of um, digital anonymity that uh, you can uh, go through. And then we're also working on setting up a P.O. box for physical post. Um, so, uh, because some people are obviously less comfortable with using the internet mm -hmm. than others. Um, so that should be happening soon. As well. mm -hmm. Sarah, final word? <laughs> yeah, and I guess also, obviously, you can always send an email, maybe without saying that you're about to whistleblow something, <laughs> but saying that you just want to meet us. Mm -hmm. And then we go for a coffee. All right. Well, uh, Cleo and Sarah, thank you very much and good, best of luck to, uh, to this important project. And uh, uh, I guess maybe we can uh, have another conversation in a, in a year or so to see how, how things evolve. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.